Today we begin a new series about a guy, his name is Elijah, and you're going like, wow, Elijah, I'm so excited about that. You know, what can a guy that's uh, been dead for 2,500 years tell me? What does he know about living in a world today that we live in? Well, I want to tell you something. He has a lot to say to you and to me. Tell you the truth, as I study Elijah, as I look back, whoa, okay. As I look back uh, and read Elijah, and I've done it many times, Elijah probably I relate to more than any person in all of Scripture, personally. Uh, someone who has so much to say to us and uh, so many things that uh, really that we can deal with. I don't know about you, but uh, uh, sometimes it's good to find somebody that really knows who you are, that really understands who you are. And so I hope that you find yourself and find help in Elijah, in the story of Elijah, an Old Testament prophet who lived in a time that's different than ours, but also very similar to ours as well. This morning as we begin, let me share a little bit about the context of Elijah so you can get to know him a little bit better. Elijah lived in a time, a period, uh, which was in a place called the Northern Kingdom that had experienced 19 evil rulers in a row. Not just ineffective rulers, not just ineffective presidents, kings, whatever. 19 evil rulers in a row over a 200-year span of time. And he lived in a time when the person who was the current king, his name was Ahab, who had a wife named Jezebel, you may have heard of that name before, he lived in that time, and, and this person named Ahab, some people say, was the worst of all of the 19 kings that were evil. And Jezebel has become, uh, if you know that name, has become synonymous with evil almost. That name itself, is, she was considered probably one of the most evil, wicked persons who ever lived. And so he lives in this dark time of corruption, And we see God began to work during this dark time of corruption. And as he does so, the thing that's interesting, I find, is instead, you know, can God do anything? Do you believe that God can do anything? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm asleep. Maybe I need to come up, turn the house lights up a little bit more, okay? I want to see people this morning. Is that as much as it comes up? Okay, there we go, a little bit more, okay? Matter of fact, I can only see about the first five rows, so the rest of you, you're good. Okay, um... Unless I walk out there and talk to you. Um, and, and when I think about God, I'm thinking, okay, there's this time of corruption. And God's people are asking for God to do something. And you think that God, who can do anything, what he would do is he would take like a whole army of people and he would just come in and wipe out all these evil kings. That, you know, that would seemingly be what God would That's what I would do if I were God. But God does what God does so often. He does something unexpected. And what he does... And he does this many times. Instead of raising up a whole bunch of people, he raises up one person, one man to take a stand. And his name was Elijah. And in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, we see Elijah for the first time. If you have your Bibles this morning, you might want to take that and open the chapter 17 of 1 Kings. In the Old Testament, it's just, you know, just a, uh, it's about a third of the way into the Old Testament. My Bible is page 301, by the way. I don't know if it's your Bible or not, but it kind of gives you an idea of where it's at. And in 1 Kings 17, all of a sudden, we're meant this guy Elijah shows up. 
And the name Elijah itself was kind of interesting because the name itself, in, in those days, names had meaning. You know, sometimes nowadays we pick out kids' names because, just because we like the name. That's a cool name. In the baby book, yeah, that was a cool name. I like that name. But in those days, names meant something. And the name Elijah means this. It means, my God is Jehovah. My God is Jehovah. My God is the God. Not just any old God, because the thing is, one of the evil things that these 19 kings had done over and over and over again is they had pointed people toward heathen gods, toward Asherah and, and Baal and other places as well. And that was one of the big things. And so his name itself, he, you know, he, he was like wearing a sign around saying, My God is the God, when he pronounced his name. He's making a testimony. The God, Jehovah, is the one true God. And in 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, verse 1, we're introduced to Elijah for the first time, and it says this. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe. Now, it's, it kind of tells, you know, where he's from, who he is. It's kind of like saying, you know, I'm Bill White. I'm from Virginia. I'm from Salem in Virginia. Or, you know, whatever your name is. That's how he's introduced, because at this point, we know nothing about Elijah. But that's, that's how we come to know him. He's the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. And he said to Ahab, and he talks directly, he says there to the king, this is the evil king Ahab, he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, that sounds pretty, when you first read that, it sounds, okay, that's a nice statement. But you know what he's saying here? He's, he's saying to this evil king, he says, over the next several years, there is not going to be any rain, any do anything until me, Elijah, whom God has appointed, says it. Now, we think we live in a global economic slowdown. Do we live in a global economic slowdown? Sure do. What Elijah was talking about here, though, was not a slowdown. It was an economic disaster. If you can imagine over the next, in an, an agricultural society that over a period of months and years, there was going to be no rain, no dew. Basically, you were talking about in our society, you know, we think we're, you know, 10% we saw yesterday or two, a couple of days ago, 10% unemployment. First time since the early 1980s. That's happened in America. In this society, though, when you're talking about years of no rain, and everything depends upon rain, this was going to be an economic disaster. There'll be 50, 60, 70 percent unemployment. Uh, uh, it would mean that it would be like us going to gas stations and having no gas. You remember that back in the, those of you who lived back then, uh, back uh, in, back in the I guess it was what the 70s. Uh, we, you know, you could get gas, you just had to get in lines to do it. And, and the banks were not only, and, and if, if this kind of economic meltdown, they were, the banks were not only uh, not lending money, but they didn't have any money. And, and people would be starving to death and unemployment would reach ridiculous rates. And so this man of God kind of stands down to king and kind of a, the first time we see him, first thing he says to King Ahab, this evil king, he says to him, no more rain. The battle's on. And you're thinking, okay, let's, let's see the big battle go on with, with this man of God and Ahab. But God does something strange here. After, Ahab, after Elijah makes this statement to Ahab, instead of the battle being on, what happened was God takes Elijah into a season of preparation, a season of hiding, a season that's not what we think. Why? Because God wants to 
do something through him, but first he has to do something in him. He has to prepare him for what he's, what's ahead. And this morning, as we begin the story of Elijah, in the next three chapters, we're going to be reading, if you want to read ahead over the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to have a four-week series. We're going to be talking about, in chapter 17, 18, and 19 of 1 Kings, this person Elijah, some incredible things that he did that happened in his life. But also, this first week, we're going to talk about the preparation that God did in his life. And I want to tell you, this is where I relate to Elijah more than any place else in chapter 17. Because he took him through the series, the series of things of preparation. First of all, he takes him what I, through what I call a season of isolation. A season of isolation. He's got no one else to call out to, and he's hurting. He's le- he's he's in a season of a private hiding. And it says in uh, verses two and three, he says, "Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah: Leave here after he made the statement to Ahab. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine." east of the Jordan. Hide in this place called the Kareth Ravine where there's this brook there and I want you to go there and hide. Now he made this statement to Ahab. He lays it out what's going to happen and then God says hey, this is what I want you to do. Instead of having a battle on right now, what I want you to do is I want to take you to a place and I want to teach you something. The word Kareth, the actual word Kareth means, means cut off. It means to uh, be cut off from the source, to be cut off from, the, from blessings or literally it means to be cut down as like you would chop down a tree. That's where God has taken him, to this place that has significance, this Kareth Ravine. It's as if God is saying to him, I'm going to take you through a series of breaking you down so that you can be usable for me. I'm going to, I'm going to take you through this series of time where you, can, where you can learn some stuff so you can be used by me. I believe a lot of us go through seasons at the Kareth Ravine. I've been through those seasons. It's been more than once. You know, you'd think that if after you've been through a tough time, you'd learn a lesson and you wouldn't do it again, right? Some of you are smiling because you're going like, yeah, yeah, you know, we learned a lesson for a while. The Bible, the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, it's full of stories of people who God begins to work in their life. They learn a lesson. They turn back to God. They, they, they follow God for a while, then they go back and do what? They go through the same old stuff again. We, constantly, God has to take us back to the Kareth Ravine, a place where he gets us isolated, where he can begin to work in our lives. It may be a season of pain in our lives. There's, people are going, you know, the reality is, God, there's something that's going on right now, and I don't understand it. You, you see, the reason that I believe this is so important is this, is I've learned in Scripture, and I learned this from life itself, but... And Scripture says this, that God is more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. He's more interested in building our character than he is in giving us comfort. For some reason, we live in a world where we have this prosperity gospel that says, you know, God wants to bless us and give us stuff. That's not God's ultimate plan at all. God's ultimate plan is to be useful for us, to help us to grow up, to become mature, and be people that have character. And the only way, tell you, any of you ever prayed about God gave me patience? Anybody ever prayed that? Okay. You know what you're praying? When you pray that prayer, God give me patience, how do you get patience? By God giving you a patience pill? You wished... 
Literally, how you get patience is by God taking you through some type of situation where the only thing you can do is to learn to be patient. It takes you this long period where you're just going like, oh, come on. We only learn. We only learn things in life. Like patience. Through the difficult times. We have to, God's going to, you know, so if you pray for patience, folks, get ready for something that's going to try your patience. Literally. But if you're serious about wanting patience, that's how God will do it in your life. And that's what God is doing here. He's preparing Elijah for something important in his life. He's working in his life. And I don't know about you right now, if you're going through a place that you would call the Kareth Ravine, a place where God has you isolate, you feel cut off from people, you don't think things are going right in your life. It's a series of, of this isolated pain. You're being broken. And you say, nobody understands? I understand. Let me tell you something. Uh, we had an interesting staff meeting the other day. The staff didn't know I was going to share this. <clears throat> but I am anyway. I don't care. <clears throat> Usually in staff meetings, we kind of like talk about stuff and, you know, we plan and stuff. The other day I just said, no more planning. We got to talk about some stuff. And the staff was pushing me to do some stuff that I didn't feel comfortable in put, being pushed to do. The reason I didn't feel pushed is because I was kind of overwhelmed. I've been in kind of the Kareth Ravine for the last oh, six, years, six, six years, not six years, excuse me, six months to a year. My Kareth Ravine is this, is that I understand we're in a critical place in the life of our church. For the first time this past year in the life of, of Great Oaks, what has happened is, is for the first time in, in, in all the, the seven, almost eight years that I've been here, for the first time we've not had double-digit growth. And we're going through an economic meltdown and since in our society where it's affecting us as a church for the first time, I've had to tell, tell staff and the administrative council had to tell staff, hey, you can't spend money. Got to be careful that we're not, you know, economic crisis, but we're being careful. At the same time, I understand for us to carry out the plan that God wants us to carry out and go to the next level where God wants us to be, the next step he has for us here is we have a couple of barriers and one of them huge is financial. We have 1.278, something like that, million-dollar loan still out on this building. You know, we paid a lot of it. This building and all the property here was over $3 million when we had it all said and done. And a lot of it was paid up front. But we still have this huge loan. And for us to go to the next level and do some of the things we like to do that we believe that God is telling us to do, we need to step up and we need to pay this off as quickly as possible. And I understand that's important. But I remember five years ago, Steve, I remember five years ago when we went through this whole process of raising money for the life of the church for, for starting this building. Remember that? Yeah, Steve, Steve Weir's down here was head of, he and I think Cindy were head of that a group that ha- helped us to go through this process. And we looked at a biblical process, and the biblical process was this. And, and this is not the only biblical process, but the one we followed was in the Old Testament where David built the temple. And basically David stood before the people and said, I'm committing myself to this. And then, I, then he challenged other leaders to step up and give, commit themselves to, to uh, giving as well. And then they challenged the whole, the whole group of people, and the whole people raised money. And that's what we did. And I remember that five years ago. <laughs> and I remember the sacrifice that so many people gave. I remember the personal sacrifice that I did. We basically took a college fund from my son and gave it to the church. And then we said, we're going to continue to give above and beyond our regular tithe. We're going to get another 5% on top of that. And I'm going like, if i got to do that again, I can't do it because I don't have it. The well is dried up. And so I shared that with staff, and I'm going like, so don't push me. 
Because I just don't have it in me right now to, to do that again. And then, and then one of the staff reminded you know, that's not the only way God worked in Scripture. Sometimes God just says, you know, trust me. When you don't have anything, that's when, you want, that's when I want to... I want you to trust me. And I, so I've been rethinking this whole process. And probably pretty soon here, maybe in the next few weeks, you may be hearing something about this is a challenge that God wants us to do because truthfully, I understand that God wants us to take a next step. But I've been struggling with this because as a leader in the church, I'm going like, I can't give anymore. I mean, I still got a son, a son in college and I've, and I've given everything I have tangibly that I, you know, without... And I, we downsized. We, we sold our house back then, too, and downsized. I'm not making you feel bad. I think this is what God told us to do back then, okay? But the issue is, is that, you know, when you go through this and you're going like as a leader, going like, oh, man. And so I felt this like something. And finally, I just, finally first time I shared it with staff was, was Tuesday morning. And uh, staff treated me differently after that for some strange reason. Actually, I don't know if they felt sorry for me or what they were doing, but, you know, uh, the deal was, but let me tell you, it's not about feeling sorry, it's about asking. God wants to take me, and I began to realize, and I said, you know, I really relate to Elijah, and this is why I relate to Elijah, because I feel like I'm in the Kareth Ravine. I'm where God has got me, had me isolated for a period of time. He's cut me off from some things. He said, okay, I want to teach you something. I want you to prepare you. See, what God was doing with Elijah, he was preparing him for something else down the road. And the only way God can do that is to take you to that Kareth Ravine, that place of isolation, that place where he says, hey, I want you to learn something from me that you cannot learn in any place else. It was a sobering moment when I realized that. You know, there's only one guarantee I can guarantee you in life that when God wants to use you, he will break you first. (laughs) That's not good news, right? It's not what you want to hear at church. But I want to tell you something. You want to be that place. You know, I've heard, you know, you know the, the, heard people say the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God. Hogwash. It's the best place to be, but it's not always a safe place to be. Because God is more interested in your character and, than your comfort. A.W. Tozier, who was a great writer, said this. He said, it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. I didn't like that. But that's the truth. That's what God was doing in Elijah. He couldn't bless him greatly. So often we don't even recognize God's blessing because we have so much stuff going around on it in our life. We have so many things. And God sometimes has to allow things to happen in our life for it to begin to use us. And Elijah was in this Kareth ravine, the Bible says, here for months. A place, a place where, uh, where he was learning to depend upon God. And that's the second thing that, uh, the second part of this process, this second season, not only did God have to take him to a place of isolation, but he, he had to take him to a place, uh, to a, through a season, what I call total dependence. In verses four through six, it says this. It says, uh, it says, you will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. That's what the birds were all about, by the way, in the little blurb of the last couple of weeks. You're going, ravens? What's all the birds? The, I, will, I will order the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Those of you who believe that, that you, know, you have to be a vegetarian, this is anti-vegetarian right here, okay? What did God bring him? 
bread and meat, okay, you know. We went through a period of life in our life when my wife, you know, she would, she would only feed me uh, vegetables and tofu. And, you know, some people, they'll go off, you know, they go off the deep end and they go out and they have a wild, you know, they go, go to another city and they, they do it so they can have a wild time and party. I went to get a piece of meat. Because <laughs> I couldn't get it at home. But no, we don't do that anymore because my wife read the other part, the rest of the scripture and realized, you know, it's not always bad. There is some scripture in the Old Testament that kind of leads you to believe that you can't, must be a vegetarian, but that is not necessarily true. That's not all of scripture, okay? But here we have that God, God brought, brought uh, Elijah to this place, to this, to this brook to, in the Kareth Ravine, and he begins to teach him a total dependence. Elijah's all by himself, and God does this miracle. In the middle of a drought, he, leaves, he gives this brook, this one brook there, plenty of water. And he also brings him for a period of time in his life. He said, this is exactly what I want you to do. I want you to stay here. I want you to begin, I want to, begin to work on your life. I want this, this incredible man who, who was able to stand up to Ahab and say, hey, this is what's going to happen. I want you to learn dependence upon me. And notice what he did. He didn't give him food enough. He didn't like give him enough for a whole month or a week or how much did he give him? Day to day. He provided with him day to day. You remember when it says in the New Testament when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, he says, give us this day our daily bread, not our monthly bread, not our weekly bread. He says, give us today. Learn to trust God day to day. That's what God is doing here in the Kareth Ravine with Elijah. He's teaching him uh, total dependence. See, God was very clearly and very distinctly saying that no matter what, I will be faithful. You can count on me to provide. God was teaching him. It took a while. It takes a while for us to learn that. It's not like a one-shot deal. And many of you right now are in a season of life where there's something you used to trust in for your security, and it's been taken away. And you don't have anything else to trust in but the giver of life and the giver of all good things. And you began to learn to do that in the middle of this Kareth Ravine time. A single mom knew this well. She would pray every day uh, very loudly in her apartment. And as she prayed very loudly in her apartment each day, she was working a, a job. She was a single mom. She was doing the best she could. She would pray to God and she would worship him for his provision. And, who, and le- next door to her lived an atheist. And the walls of the apartment were very thin. And so this atheist heard everything she prayed because she prayed very loudly. And as she prayed very loudly, it came to a time where, where she, she would, uh, the, the atheist next door got fed up with it, and she would, he went next door, knocked on her door, and says, Lady, you're a fool. There is no God. And then one week, there was more month left than money, and she was crying out to God, Oh God, you've always provided for me. You've always been faithful. I know you'll come through again. Oh God, please provide food for my children. And she was, she was weeping and praying and asking God for this loudly. And the atheist heard her next door, and she's going, Will she ever shut up? And after a long period of time, the atheist had had enough, and he decides to do something about it. So he goes down the street to the grocery store. He buys some bags of groceries. He brings them to her apartment. He sits them in front of her door, knocks on the door, goes next door, doesn't tell her who it is. And he thinks, oh, let's go shut her up. So she's finally going to shut up about this wailing and weeping and all this stuff. But when she opens the door and she sees the food, she goes, oh, God in heaven, you're so good. Thank you so much. You're amazing. And she's even louder than she was before. 
And he can't stand it anymore, and he opens his door and jumps out, and he goes, Lady, you're a fool. I brought the food. There is no God. I just did it to prove to you that if somebody else doesn't, God that has nothing to do with it. And the lady looked at him, and then she goes, Oh, God, I worship you even more so because not only did you provide, but you made the devil pay for it. I love that story. See, God is... He wants to take us through this series. What he does with Elijah is take him through this period of isolation so he can learn total dependence. And ultimately, he takes him to a place where he wants him to learn something else, and that is unconditional obedience. Unconditional obedience. And it's kind of a strange thing, a twist in the story here we see in verses 7 through 9. It says, sometime later, the brook dried up. Sometime later, and, and, and uh, you know, it's unconditional obedience. God wants to take us through that. And it says, sometime later, the brook, verses 7 and 9, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. Now realize something, folks. For the last months, year, I don't know exactly how long it is in the story, what had happened? God told him to stay in this place, in this brook. He took him to this place. He was teaching him something. He was, he was following God. He learned to, to trust in God during this time. Then all of a sudden, something changes, and, and God says, okay, I'm going to drop the brook. I want you to go somewhere else. You ever been in a place where, you know, things, you've been following God closely, you've been having your quiet time, you're doing all the things, you're following God's total word, you're, you're, you're doing everything, you know, you're, you know, you're using your money like you should, you're, uh, you're, 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 your job is, you're working at your job, you're doing all the different things you should be doing, but in the middle of that something changes and God changes the direction of that or some, a door closes and you begin to ask, well, God, what's going on here? Why are you doing this? Put yourself in the prophet's place. It's been months. He's been by this ravine, and God's been feeding him daily. And then God says, says uh, I want you to move on. He began to question some, began to question some things. You know, what's going on in life? What, why don't I do this? Some of you might be right there right now. You, you're, you're going, oh, my, my brook is drying up. You know, the, I used to be able to trust in my job, but I'm not really sure about my job right now. I, I used to trust in my nest egg. I had a 401k, and now it's a 201k. And 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 I used to trust in my my Brooks drying up. I used to be able to trust in with my good friends, and man, they're all gone. My friends' brook has dried up, and I used to believe that I had a great marriage, and even that's drying up. And a lot of people, you know. A lot of times we'll say things like, well, God guides by what he provides. And that's true many times. But also, I believe with all my heart that God often guides by what he does not provide. Sometimes God will let something happen, close a window, close a door in your life because he wants to direct you in some other way, in, in some place and wants, to learn, wants you to learn something. Remember, uh, sometimes we don't understand what's going on when that happens. Remember the movie Karate Kid? I thought it was a cool movie. I loved the Karate Kid movie. Mr. Miyagi, 
Wasn't he a little guy who played on Happy Days too? Same guy, something like that. Uh, Mr. Miyagi, remember, remember in the first movie, if you saw that, uh, Mr. Miyagi, Daniel, Daniel-san was the, uh, so we called him, was the, uh, was the young guy that he was going to, that became his protege. And, and, and Daniel-san, he was going to, uh, he came to him, Daniel came to him and said, Mr. Miyagi, would you teach me how to fight? Because he saw him, you know, do some really cool, you know, karate things. And so Mr. Miyagi says, okay, okay. And so Daniel's going, he gets all excited, and Daniel says, first, though, you must paint the fence. And so Daniel goes up, and he's kind of like, you know, ticked off because he thought he was going to learn how to fight, and he's, you know, slopping stuff on Mr. Miyagi. says, no, 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 paint the fence like this. And he teaches him to paint the fence like that, and he paints the fence, and he's going, okay, and you teach me how to fight. He says, no, now you get to wash the car. And, you know, when he gets kind of mad, so he's slopping stuff on the car and he's doing stuff. And Mr. Miyagi says, no, 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 this is how. And then he's, he's already washed. He's going to wax his wax on, wax off. Remember that? And Daniel's kind of confused. He's going like, what does this have to do with fighting? And he goes through all these little things where he's learning to do stuff, you know, wax on, wax off. Paint the fence, you know. He's doing all these different things. And then Mr. Miyagi says, okay, now it's time to learn to fight. And so Mr. Miyagi gets ready and goes, starts throwing a punch at him. And Daniel goes, whoa! And Mr. Miyagi says, no, 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 no. Wax the car. So when he throws the punch, he goes, and he blocks the punch. Oh, I understand. All of a sudden, you know, and everything he was doing, you know, paint the fence. There's certain things. Everything he was doing was teaching him techniques, and he didn't understand when he was going through it. You see, God says to God says to the prophet Elijah, go to the Kareth Ravine. And Elijah goes, do what? And after he's there for a while, God says, okay, uh, the brook's dried up. I want you to go to a place called, uh, another place called Zarephath. And Elijah goes, I don't understand. And as we read through the rest of the story, which we don't have time to do today, and I encourage you to read it this week, the rest of chapter 17, we see God doing something incredible. Because when he goes to Zarephath, in the story, what happens? He goes there, he meets this widow and her son. And this is in the middle of this drought that's been going on for a period of time. And when he meets this widow and her son, some incredible things happen. First of all, he goes and he asks the widow to give him a drink of water and to give him something to eat. And the widow looks at him and he says, she says, are you the only person that doesn't know that there's a drought going on? She says, I'm gathering some sticks. I'm getting ready to go home. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go home and take the little tiny bit of flour, the little bit tiny bit of oil that I have. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to make the la- our last meal. And guess what we're going to do then? We're going to die. It says it right here in Scripture, chapter 17. And Elijah looks at the woman, and he says to her, she says, you know you're not going to die. Make, take the flour, take the oil, make something from it, feed me, because you will have enough to eat every day. And the story goes through the rest of chapter 17 that every day for the next year, two years, whatever period of time it was, a long period of time, every day the lady would go and there would be just a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, just enough for the day in there. You know, how did Elijah have this insight, this faith to believe that was going to happen? 
because God had taken him through the Kareth Ravine. He had taught him to learn, learn dependence upon him. And now he was teaching to follow him in total obedience. He said, if you will follow my plan fully, then I will use you. See, Elijah didn't understand why this was all happening. We're going to read in the next couple of weeks some incredible stories. Some things that just, are just blow your mind that happen in Scripture. But let me tell you something. None of it would have happened if God had not taken Elijah through the Kareth Ravine where he, he, he was isolated for a period of time, where he had nothing but God, where he learned total obedience or total dependence upon God, where he began to learn that obedience is the only way to really trust and follow God. You know, God, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to share more before God has taken me as well through through this whole thing. And one of the things I understand is that God takes us through these times, and sometimes in the middle of these times we don't understand, but God is preparing us for something. When God wants to really use you, he will take you through a time of the Kareth Ravine. He'll take you to a time of isolation, of a time where you might have pain in your life. But ultimately, it's for your good. It's for my good. A few years ago, I shared with you, I've shared a story before, but a few years ago when I was in Virginia before I came here, two years before I came here, I went through a period of, uh, like this as well. I came to a period in my life where I'm going, God, if I have to work one more day at this church I'm at, I'm going to go work somewhere else at McDonald's or somewhere like that, and I will not be in ministry anymore. I was so fed up with ministry, I could, could, couldn't stand it. And so God took me through Kareth Ravine. He took me through a place where I felt isolated, and, and I began to seek God with, you know, and, and go, and I went on, on, I spent so much time in prayer. You know, it's amazing how much prayer, prayer time you have when you're going through a tough time. Sometimes that's the only way God can get your attention. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, too. But I went through that time, and in the middle of that, I kept praying, God, you know, I really, 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 I really want to do your will. If you want me to stay here, make some kind of changes here. If you don't want me to stay here, open another door. And nothing happened for a year and a half. I mean, nothing changed at that church that made me want to stay, and no doors opened up. And I got so tired, and I got so sick of what was going on, and I'm going, God, I'm going to stick with you, but, man, I just got to see something. But God was helping me to understand I needed to be obedient to him. I needed to understand. You know, I look back as I went through that time. I look back on the times when I had tough times in my life. And I learned to trust God through those tough times. And then after I went through this period of time, I shared with you this before. All of a sudden, after almost two years of praying and searching and seeking God with all of my heart. And he would take me through the Kareth Ravine of that period of time in my life. I came to the place where one week, man, like the floodgates opened. And I had like eight different locations. It's great places. One on being Great Oaks that opened up opportunities. And it wasn't to the place where I began to say, God, okay, okay, no, God, I, you know, and now, before that I was kind of like limiting God. I said, God, I will go anywhere as long as it's south of where we are now in warm weather. You know, I, I was looking at Orlando and yeah, Disney World, man, a great place to serve God. You know, I thought about Hawaii. I thought that would be a great place. Las Vegas, I thought that would be a cool place to serve God. You know, a lot of sin there. And, uh, but it wasn't until I said, God, I'll go any, my wife and I said together, you know, God, you have taught us something, complete obedience. No matter where we, where we want us to go, what you want us to do, we will do it. And that's when God opened the floodgates. 
And that's kind of how we ended up here. But it wasn't until God took me to that period of dryness, that period of isolation, that period, that Kareth Ravine time. And I believe he's doing it again. I think he's getting ready to do something else in the life of this church, not just through me, but through you guys. Because he, he wants us, to, he wants us, this, this time, not only as a people here, but as a nation. I think the time that we're going through right now is, is a testing time for us. Where God wants us to learn something. And that is learn not to depend upon our wealth, not to depend upon our stuff, not to depend upon anything, but to depend upon him. And believers, Christians, this is a good time for us. Because it means God's getting ready to do something even greater. What will happen in Elijah's life? You know, when Elijah was first introduced in verse 1 of chapter 17, how did they introduce him? Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbia or something like that. Some place that's bizarre, you know, never heard of it. Where he's from. At the end of the chapter, verse 24, after all this went on and this, this, this whole thing, and you can read about it yourself, it says this, Then the woman, the woman who had come to, that he had stayed there and who had trusted in him, now the woman said to Elijah, Now that I know, now, now, after all this, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. See, God may allow you to go through the Kareth Ravine so that someday someone can look at you and say, now, now I see you're a person of God. You're a man of God, a woman of God. You know, I hope people don't look at me and say, oh, yeah, that's Bill White. He's from Virginia. I hope they'll look at me and say, yeah, he, that's Bill White. He's not a perfect guy. He's, not, he's far from that. But he is a man of God. And the only way that can happen is that God will take you through this time. And if you're in the midst of the time, I want to encourage you, rejoice. I know it's hard, but rejoice because God has something prepared in your life that he wants you to do down the road. That's why he takes you through these times. That's why I relate to Elijah because I'm excited about when God... I I don't like the Kareth Ravine. Matter of fact, I, I despise it every time I get there. But when I recognize it, I'm going, okay, God, I know there's an end. And I know you're going to do something more. Help me to stick in there with you and learn the lessons that you want me to learn. That's what Elijah did. And that's why God used him in such a great way. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.